on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. I can't emphasize it enough. Having those difficult discussions. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast, coming to you today. Craig McLaren Taylor on the stage, the King stage. My brother, how you doing? Good, very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Of course. We're recording this on, on Labor Day, and I know my team reached out to you to confirm because some people take today off, but here we are, working yeah, our well, businesses. The, the hustle doesn't stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that I'm all down for vacationing. I love taking time with my family. I'm sure you do as well, but I don't necessarily look ahead at days like Labor Day and go, oh, got to make sure I have that day off. So I'm glad that we're here today recording, doing business, getting to know each other. Craig, tell me what kind of business that you got, brother. There's actually two parts to, to what we do. So I have a construction cleaning business. I think the bigger picture is I'm involved with my family. Love it. From my father down, I work with my brother who lives in South Africa. I live here in Fort Lauderdale. And so we have a construction cleaning business in South Florida. And how I originally came about was I'm also involved in a business called Bathroom Butler, which originated in South Africa. And we do bathroom accessories and heated towel wraps. So we wanted to bring that to the U.S., a number of years ago, so I decided to move over. In fact, we wanted to expand it internationally just outside of South Africa. So we have an office and we have a distributor and an office in Australia. So we introduced that here in the US. And then at the same time, an opportunity came up where with my accountant, somebody was looking to sell a business that was construction cleaning. And we decided it was, a, I wouldn't say a good fit because it's completely different to what we were doing, but we just liked the business model. Yeah. Of what the guy of what they were doing. And we decided to get him. And so when we got involved, there was about four years ago, we had about 10 staff. It was a small business. And they had one what we would call contract with a property built property developer. Yeah. And we're now at closing close on 50 people. Wow. In four years with about five or six contracts, yeah. besides various other builders that we work with. So that's essentially what we do in a nutshell. We go into homes and during the construction process, we contracted to clean them. So the builders can do their QA process, the quality assurance process. And then at the end of it, obviously make sure that it's buttoned up, that the homeowner gets a nice clean home. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I, I have a near and dear connection from my story to your business, not specifically oh, yeah. your business, but this industry. I'm 12, 13, 14 years old. And I... I'm doing construction cleanup in between certain phases because that's the only thing I could really do that and some concrete work underneath the table, worked for a concrete company or a construction company that did concrete as well. But I would come in as a little kid and, and yep. sweep the floors and get everything cleaned up in between the trades and be good to go. So I've got a fond memory of probably looked a little different than what you do with 50 people, but neither here nor there. I got a question for you at this stage, yeah. before we kind of get into the story and how you developed all this up. I mean, it's incredible growth over the last four years for sure. I want to know 
why? Like, why are you still pushing? You came to America to build a business. You purchased another business that really had nothing to do with your other business. You obviously have this need to keep going. You could probably sail off into the sunset back to South Africa, but you don't. Why? I think there are many reasons. I think I want to make sure that I give my family, there's the personal side to it. So I want to make sure I, I give my family the experiences that I was brought up with. As, as I alluded to, my father was an entrepreneur. He had his own business and that eventually we all came into. And that created certain opportunities and experiences as kids. Every school holiday, we were able to go away. Just We had a holiday home and those sorts of memories are very important to me. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm able to give my kids those experiences. We always talk about it with my wife and I. We always talk about experiences are exceptionally valuable in, for the kids. Yeah. So we want to be able to do that sort of thing, provide those sorts of experiences for the kids. So I suppose my family goals drive me a lot. And then there's, it, it's, I don't think it's ever about that it's not enough. It's about always making sure that we're not planning for tomorrow or the next day. We're planning for five years down the line. Continuity. What happens when we're going to the third generation? Is there going to be enough of a business to pass on? to cousins and so forth. You want to continue building on that to make sure you can, as I said, create the same opportunities where we're given, whether, whether, our, whether the next generation wants to be involved in that is up to them as well. I think one has to be very right. clear and careful on the, some of the lessons I've learned. One has to be very clear and careful on, shall I, I wouldn't say forcing is the wrong word, but <laughs> I would say strongly encouraging That's your right. kids to get involved in the family business. It takes a specific mindset yeah. to get involved in that sort of thing. Yeah. really want to stay here in this vein just for a minute. We'll get to your story and all your success here in a second. I, this conversation of, what do they say? That wealth is lost in the third generation. Typically yeah. you've got the, the grandparent, in this case, your dad who had hard times, but he had nothing. He created this huge thing. And then your second generation, you hold on to it or you try to at least. And then by the third generation, it's gone. Sure. So this continuity that you're talking about or this strongly encouraging of your children to be involved. What does that look like, man? I want to know, cause I'm first generation and I'm thinking as a grandpa, I'm going to have to be like in, in the daily with my grandchildren to make sure that they like have the right mindset and they're, that they're building on to what's been built by me and my kids. And tell me what you're doing. Sure. So again, talk about, in our earlier discussion, we we're talking about networking and I think Learning from other people is very important. So I've I'm being very fortunate with the people I'm surrounded with in general. For example, I have a very close friend of mine who's one of the best men at my weddings, who's a consultant for one of the big five accounting firms. And coincidentally, guess what? He does consulting specifically on family businesses. Yeah. So, you know, I bounce ideas off him and he gives me a lot of feedback. But there is also it's not only the passing from this first from the second to the third generation, but there is a statistic that goes every generation that it's handed down, a business's rate of failure increases exponentially. So it's not only from the second to the third, it's also from the first to the second. I think we've always been very cautious of that. And that's why I said, so like coming up with plans of some of the bigger corporates, and I'm, when I'm saying bigger corporates, you're talking about the Waltons from Walmart. Right. These guys have family offices. So the point is, there is a certain point where you have to start formalizing certain things and my brother and I discuss very openly certain topics. If we want to bring our kids into the business, what are the requirements? You need to have a college degree. And you come up with a family constitution that puts everything in writing. Everybody knows where they stand. That if they want to come in, there is an opportunity, but these are the requirements. 
So I think the, I suppose the secret to it is formalizing it. I think one of the other things I want to kept on thinking about prior to this was what we would discuss and would be how would, how would it set us apart? How does the, how does our success as a family business set apart, set us apart from a sort of, I've seen friends of my father who he surrounded himself with entrepreneurs and they struggled to, to hand down their businesses. Yeah. So the important part is to have very open discussions. It's very difficult. You've got to hope for the best and plan for the worst. Yeah. I think one of the other things I was thinking about was in South Africa, a prenup or an anti-nuple contract is pretty standard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but here in the US, it's a little bit frowned upon. Yeah. And so for me, that's surprising because at the end of the day, you don't know where life is going to take you. And if, if you have a document that says, hey, in the worst case scenario, this is what we need to do, emotions are taken out of it. Right. So again, you've got, to, you've got to put those things in place for a family business that take the emotions out of it yeah. because personalities are very different. People's priorities change over time. I can't emphasize it enough. Having those difficult discussions or what you even may think may be difficult, but as I said, we, I've discussed it with my brother and they're very easy discussions. We, we are very two different people, but in some ways we think very similarly and in some ways we think very differently and yeah. I think we've been fortunate enough when it comes to the family side of things that we think very similarly about we've had very similar experiences about coming into the business yeah. you know I would prefer my kids to go out and get work experience somewhere else before they come into the family business yeah so interesting a lot of dynamics and a lot of uh, thoughts I guess Probably the number one takeaway that I took from you, and I'm not sure if the listener is thinking a multi-generational business like like I am, but the just the formality or the thinking ahead piece, which fits into like just so many successful principles that probably you and I live by anyway, but it's formalizing it around the family so that number one, there's plans in place. There's like actual strategic moves being made, but then when those moves get made, what's the worst? What's the best? Love that. I, we do this every day in business anyway. Why yeah. would we not do it with our family? To your So I think, and going to that, that's also applicable in partnerships. Oh. And I bring up the case of the, like the prenup and the internet in partnerships. You, it's, you start these relationships off in, the, in sort of the honeymoon phase, as they call it, and nothing can go wrong. But like I said, people's priorities change. Just one partner might have a medical situation that they may have to deal with and they may have to bail out of the business. So the point is to... Put plans in place, as I said, hope for the best, plan for the worst, put those situations and those plans and those formal documents in place that you guys know that if you're booming, what happens? If it's not booming or if there's a crisis that happens with one partner, how does that get rid I think those are very important steps to take at the very early on stages. Yeah, 100%. I love it. Okay, let's get into your story a little bit. Let's go to, you've kind of given us the backdrop of how you got to where you were four years ago. Let's take it from there. Four years ago, you're purchasing this business. There's 10 people on the team, one contract. I want to know in that first year or two, as you're starting to a couple of years ago, what was a good decision that you made that you can look back on and go, ooh, because I did that, I can see Mm. the success that we've had. I'm going to go back, I think, probably even further than that, because I think it goes back to mentality. So I'll never forget in, on our bathroom side in our business, I had a customer, we wanted to start expanding and I had a customer in a little island called Mauritius and, but he supplied 
He was one of two suppliers that supplied the interior designers and the hotels. And Mauritius wow. is about the size of the Bahamas. And in South Africa, it was a nice step for us. And somebody recommended him to us as a distributor. And I contacted him. And whenever I spoke to him, he was very interested in the product, but he would never give me a he would never say yes. But he would never give me a no. Interesting. And, and I wouldn't pester him. I wouldn't badger him. My thing is that I'm exceptionally patient. So it took me two years and eventually I got a yes. And then all of a sudden the business started coming hard and fast. So fast forward now to the cleaning business. And I'll never forget, after we purchased the business, shortly after that, we were lucky where one of the purchasing managers who dealt with the previous owner called us up and said, hey, listen, we're not happy with our current vendor. Would you like to come and try it out? The problem was is, this is in Vero Beach, which is a two and a half, two to two and a half hour drive from where a lot of our work was. Yeah. And I just thought, we're going to try it out. We want to grow this business. And if I have to send a crew up there, we'll get the contract and figure out the rest later. Yeah. And then they gave us the business, but they had about three other cleaning vendors on their books. Yeah. And I said, my goal is to be the number one vendor. And how are we going to do that is we're going to make sure we do the best that we do and we're going to do a better job than any of the other guys. And when we get a phone call, we're going to make sure we react. We're going to make sure that we do the houses according to their schedules. Because one thing I picked up is that a lot of the vendors work according to their own schedule and not to the builder's schedule. They're the yeah. customer. For me, I've got to work according to their schedule. Fast forward three, four years later, and eventually, slowly but surely, they started giving us more and more work. And eliminating the other vendors and just saying, these guys are a pleasure to deal with. They know what they're doing. So I also, I also focused on upskilling my crews to make sure we weren't just another cleaning company. One of the biggest problems we had, and this mentality is carried through from my other business. One of the biggest problems we had is I don't compete on price. I will never, ever compete on price because anybody can do something cheaper than you. That's yep. the reality. Yep. You've got to figure out how you can add value, all these great corporate words, yep. or USPs and all that sort of thing. How do you add value? How do you differentiate yourself? I made sure we skilled our staff on different cleaning problems that weren't really our responsibility, but I decided to take it on Yeah, because I thought, you know what? These builders like dealing with us. They like dealing with us because we have a specific mentality. So imagine if we could solve X, Y, Z problem for them. I'll give you an example. Grout has, so when they tile the floors, yeah. The tilers, if they don't clean the floors properly, there's a haze that sits on there and eventually it, it's cementitious, so it, it becomes very hard. It's the tiler's responsibility to get that off. On these contracts, do they get it off? Not all the time. So we came up with various techniques and we learned from what other companies do in terms of not just cleaning companies, but floor restore companies. How do they right. remove grout haze? We figured that out and they just... That was another value-added service that we we're charging for. And the guys were like, we don't want to get the tilers to do it because they're too busy. You guys can do it. So you right. add all those little services on, you figure out how to be the best, and you work with the customer. And we just slowly grew it like that. And then from that, everything that we got was reputation-based, yeah, not price. So I think that was a, for me, that was, that was very key, very important. Yeah, I, there's several things here I want to point out for the listener. Obviously, you've done a really great job of just giving us multiple great decisions and even examples. Thank you for that. What I heard you say heaviest hitting was that you decided to be the best, which then led to a trickle effect of ideas of creating more value, being literally the best 
cleaner or the best at the task, being the easiest to work with. Like you mentioned several of those things that kind of fit into being the best, which then of course plays into the reputation. And so I just want to hit that for the listener because those things don't happen over time. You said before this example that you're incredibly patient. And I think most business owners aren't, right? We want it and we want it now. We want results. And that's all great. I'm a huge results-driven person and I'm going to just push, push, push. But the reality of it is that you're going to build sustainably something that's going to be around for your kids and their kids. There's got to be a level of what I call poise. In this case, patience of you got to just do the right things, aka be the best, add value, put your crews in a position to be an extension of you. Like you're the best on the phone when you got the contract, but is your crew the best or whatever? Is it an extension of your premium feel that you you don't have to compete on price? And then eventually over the course of time, what this does is it builds a reputation, which then you've got business coming to you because this one business has more business they're bringing to you. They've referred you to other businesses. And at some point, there's a domino effect here that you've created all by doing the right things, and then being having poise over the course of time. Would you like to add anything to that? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's and don't get me wrong. It's funny because I have a very patient side and I have a very impatient side. Oh sure. So I've learned when to be patient and when impatient is being is required. Yeah, no, it's so good because you do you. There are many moments where we have to go. Here's where I just need to take a deep breath and let time work for me. Because anytime I've looked back five or ten years. I've been extremely thankful for the things that I was doing and the actions I was taking five and 10 and 15 years ago. But it's tough right in there in the moment to go, I want this done right now. But if I look back five and 10 years, if I'm making a five or 10 or even a 20 year decision today, that's that poise that we're talking about. It's not just, let me get this new client today so I can get the money today so I can go buy food today. Yes, those things are important, but the bigger decisions, the five or 10 or 20 year decision that we can make um, it zooms us out, gives us more poise, more patience. Totally. And even my goals, I have goals that are set for a year ahead, two years ahead, three, four years ahead. You and I have different goals set for different timelines. And that, that creates a set of patience for the longer set of goals. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, because you obviously have a dynamic of having your dad being a great business owner in, a, in another country. It was a book that I was just reading, Your Next Five Moves by Patrick. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Anyway, my, my editor will put it in the show notes, but he talks about in there how the Japanese make 20-year business plans. In America, it's like a one-year business plan. <laughs> there yeah. would be like a long-time business plan. And so again, it's just perspective on, on the length of the decisions, which then gives you poise and not to run certain things. I think the, the German family businesses are very similar. So they reinvest a lot of their profits back into the business. They don't pull it out. And they're reinvesting for the longer term longevity of the business and the future generations. Yeah. Yep. It, I think that there's a lot of ways to do that. I think it's, it's hard in the moment, especially we'll just take it all the way back to your very first point. If some of that's not outlined or f- formalized, like you talked about, then it's very in the moment and you're making decisions in the moment for the moment, as opposed to up ahead, we've agreed upon, Hey, we sure. want to build this for generations. We want this to really be around, be sustainable. Let's flip the coin here, Craig. Cause I want to know a bad decision. So I suppose going back to what I've been discussing in terms of a family business, in hindsight, a bad decision would have been going directly into the family business, believe it or not. And that's why I make the comment about, I'm very specific that if my kids want to come into the business, they've got to go out into the business world for a couple of years first. So I went straight from university, straight into the family business. Yeah. And in one way, I don't regret it. 
but in the other way, I do regret it. I don't regret it because I've learned a lot. It set me on the path that I'm on. But the flip side is, what would I have experienced if I'd gone out into the world? Would it have made me a stronger, better person? So I think that's probably, funny enough, probably one of my decisions that I do regret. And, and I touch wood, I think my brother and I haven't properly discussed it, but I think he's of a similar mind as well. We, because my father was, even though we had family holidays, there were other times where during university, I would go up and work in the business for our university holidays. Even as a kid, we used to play around in the factory. So the business has always been there. It's always been around us. Yeah. Even when my father did go on holiday, he did give us his own time. I remember we used to, there was a, we would drive from the city that we lived in to where our holiday home was. And it was about a four hour drive. He had customers along the way. Now bear in mind, he had a full sales team that could do this. But he yeah. still took the time out. And these are the little entrepreneurial lessons that I learned. And he still, still took the time out that on holiday, he would stop by one or two customers to stick his head in and say hello. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably my one decision, if I were to label the biggest one, yeah. that I would change. And it's so interesting to me that after all of our conversation about multi-generations, this is the topic, but it makes sense. I think our brains, even trying to correlate this to the listeners here today, most of them probably started their own thing. They're not necessarily second generation, although they might be, maybe even third generation. But the reality is that they probably started their own thing. And our brains search constantly to solve not only problems, but to give us answers of things that are unknown. Like our brains don't like the unknown, right? So we're always trying to fill in the gap. And I think that's the gap for you. You're like, oh man, I don't, it's unknown what would have happened exactly, if I yeah. had taken a different route. So we have that regret or that moment of, oh man, because our brains are trying to function in the unknown, but we just can't. Sure. And so the, maybe the listener right now doesn't relate to that specifically, but they relate to, okay, I opened up a, a franchise. I, I don't really want to do a franchise anymore. What if I had done my own thing? There's always that grass is greener on the other side yeah. potential. What would you say? Because obviously you're not like, ducking on the family business now to go explore those options. What would you say to the listener who has that feeling of, oh man, should I have done something different? Or do they just stay focused on what they're doing? What would you say? I think uh, there's, there, there are, so there are a couple of expressions I live by in life. And one of them is re regret what you do rather than regretting what you don't do. So rather make that decision and go like, it worked out, we tried it, it didn't work. And rather than going, hey man, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. And then regret, regretting not doing those, making those decisions or doing those, following those choices or whatever. So that's probably what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel the same way because there's moments in my life where we've taken an opportunity and it's, if I don't do this, I know that I'll always look back and be like, man, what if? Yeah. But if we're being honest, especially as multiple generational focused entrepreneurs, it's like what we're trying to teach our children are like, hey, don't do X, Y, Z, because I've already done that. You no, know, it's like same thing as like a coach, right? Like we go and sure. hire a business coach or we join a mastermind or something like that so we can learn the things not to do. But then as entrepreneurs, it's like we have to do them anyway, at least to a degree. 
And that, as, I suppose that's also why I also said, go out and work in another business somewhere else because I want somebody, I want somebody else to deal with you and your sort of strong personality before right. you come into the business and tell me what to do after I've been doing it for so long. That's right. That's right. And see, now the hidden motivation comes out. I've got an eight, a six, a three, and a nine-week-old. And other than the nine-week-old, because I don't know, but the other three, I'm telling you, they're strong already. Yeah. And I'm like, geez, how am I going to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to mold these minds and build them up so that they are strong. But so much, like you said, I don't need you coming in here. But at the same time, there's another generation. There's a whole new way of doing things. There's this huge balance of sure. the next generation. So I love all of this. I, we could just go hours and hours. Tell me about a process that you have now. We've talked about a good and bad decision from previously. How do you decide on things now that you've been uber successful? I suppose every year, beginning of the year, I always, and I've been doing this for a long time, I set my goals for the year. Besides what I want to do in the next two to three years, four years, I set my goals for the year and I write them down. I write them down as, as visible as I can. And funny enough, I was listening to a podcast the other day with a guy, a South African called Rulof Boerter. In America, you'd pronounce that Rulof Boerter. But okay. anyway, he's a, and he does the exact same thing. And it's, he's a venture capitalist at Sequoia Capital. And we're talking about billions of dollars. And he said, like, what he used to do was when he started at Sequoia Capital, he had on his notepad 10 to the power of nine, which was in order to be partner, he knew he had to make contribute a billion dollars in returns. Wow. And so that writing down of the goals is very important for me. Yeah. And it's funny because it's a process that I'm always still amazed with. I look at my whiteboard and I have a I have a home office and I have an office somewhere else. And I have the similar goals written down on both boards. And when I'm talking to my staff, I find myself six months, six months in, if I've written certain company goals in, and they don't have to be financial. One of my goals this year is work harder, not smarter. It's a simple goal. And how do we make decisions around it? I need to make sure our internal communication is better because I don't want that person working um, because somebody hasn't communicated properly. And so I find myself talking even now this year, talking through various things. And I had to say, look, there it is on the board. That's part of that goal that we've yeah. got to keep working towards. Yeah. So I think writing down goals is very important and visualizing them and having them in front of you all the time, because then you base your decisions on that. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> I'm going to switch over to the speed round here. I'm going to come at you in a little different angle on some questions. I want you to sure. take your business or businesses, really, it's applicable to all of this, but I want you to dwindle them down into one trackable metric. If there was only one metric that you could track forever and ever, it was just the one, what would it be? Profitability. Very simple. You can chase turnover. You can have $10 million in turnover and have zero profit. Yeah. If your company is not profitable, if you're doing $10 million or a million dollars or come on a hundred thousand, do you have a business? That's yeah. As blunt as it would be. Yeah. A big organization that doesn't value, isn't valuable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. What book would you recommend Craig for a six figure business owner trying to get to that seven figure mark? Pitch anything by Orlin Clough. Yeah. I read yeah. that a number of years ago. And funny enough, it ties in with a couple of things. There's another guy that I follow also is Simon Sinek. Okay, yeah. And I think that there are various things that if you are believing the principle of the, what's the golden circle, I don't know if you heard about that, is why, how, and what. And they're based on very similar principles. That's awesome. How does a six-figure business owner apply that principle in their business today, do you think? Very simple. It comes down to goal setting. So figure out what your goals are and 
don't like I had to rewatch that Simon Sinek video and I watched it many years ago and I watched it a couple of times and figure out what your goals are. The goals are shouldn't be just financial. Yeah. Because the financial part is a result of what your goal is. My goal is I want my customers to be happy. That's my goal. That's my ultimate goal in the business. And it's not what we sell. It's not what we do. But from that, if I make sure my staff are happy, they're going to make sure my customers are happy. If my customers are happy, guess what? We're going to be profitable and we'll continue to grow. We'll continue to get business. So it all trickles down to that bottom one, which is you want to be profitable. Right. But you've got to figure out that goal that doesn't relate to profit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be something unique that's connecting everybody together as far as the mission goes. There's got to be something emotional. Yeah. Because when you're selling yourself to your staff and to your client, again, I don't want to deal with price. Anybody can deal. Anybody can be cheaper than you. I want them to connect with us. And that my staff have to, have this, I have to have that same emotion with the staff. They have to believe in what we're doing. So again, that they're passionate about the company. Yep. Whether we're talking about our cleaning business or, or Barton Butler, they've got to be passionate about the business and conveying that message to the customers. Whether it, And I don't mean verbally conveying it, I just mean in what they do, making sure that, as we said, you're being the best that you want what you want to be. Yeah, that's right. Okay, my next question. What do you think about networking or masterminding with other very entrepreneurs? Important. I think very important. I think learning from everybody's successes and most importantly, everybody's mistakes. I still, I think my father is a very successful person, very grateful for what he's passed on to us. But at the same time, I will try and analyze and look at his mistakes. So I don't make those mistakes, whether it's personal or business, and some of them are intertwined, but that's very important. Yeah. We were talking about networking before we popped on here, as far as just popping on podcasts and meeting people. You coming from another country, right? Yeah. You starting a business over here, obviously it was an extension of a current business, but then and then you purchased a brand new business. I can't imagine that you had that many contacts when we you came didn't. here. And- we didn't, and we're still in the process of growing the other business. I, will, I'm, I think for us, we're, I would still consider us a small family business. Yeah. I always say that we're, I always have the analogy, we're like an awkward teenager. Sure. We're still learning, especially the bathroom side. We're still learning. That has been very difficult. Funny enough, the cleaning business has been easier to grow than the bathroom side, purely because also our model on the bathroom side has been completely different. We're doing it. We're going online here, whereas right. previously we'd be doing it face-to-face with retailers and distributors. Sure. So it has been very different and it hasn't been easy. But then again, growing a business is not meant to be easy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, always say, well, I think one of the other expressions I also love, easy come, easy go. In other words, if you make a lot of money easily, quickly, you can lose it very easily and quickly. And it goes back to the story of patience. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Last question here for you. If you lost it all. Craig, what would you do? Continue looking for other opportunities. It's just, that's in my nature. We have to continuously look for opportunities. Yeah. Start again and that's life. Life goes and it's ups and downs. And I think we're just fortunate to right now be consistently on the app, but understand that it can disappear. And I think as long as you have a strong foundation, which is the important part, strong foundation, be it family or mentally, you can achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, that's right. I think that what you just said there, that inkling of, we are on the up, up, but man, this could go away at any moment. It's that healthy nervousness that yes. I think every entrepreneur 
keeps it probably keeps us driving that much harder even really since my father so like my father's drive was his parents didn't have money right and he had to support his parents so his drive was he wanted and it was like he always spoke to us about this and that was that he didn't want to retire having to live off his kids and that the, you talk about that nervous energy that's what pushed him and that's what drove him we have a slightly maybe different reasons we didn't have that experience but what is our drive to make sure we can create those experiences that we had as a family for our families. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm curious. I already said last question, but I got, I got another one for you about your dad specifically. <clears throat> I find myself sharing with my kids because obviously my kids are growing up in a completely different life than I did. I grew up single mom family, not a lot of resources in comparison to my kids already at a young age. And I'm willing to have a dad, but then number two, we have lots of resources. And so how, from like the stories that your dad told you, did he talk about the difficulty having to take care of his parents or growing up with no money or how would, how did he get that to translate that over to you? Cause it's perspective of sure. something that he had that you didn't. So I don't think it was so much the stories. I think it was because he grew up not having anything, everything that he had, he valued. So a small example, and this is like an experience for some reason, this is one of these things that was so important to me, just the experience. He had a 16 foot, boat that we used to water ski on and every holiday we used to pull that boat out and we used to wash it down like we knew at the beginning of the holiday we knew that we had a day or two of doing stuff around the house and at the end of the holiday we had a day or two of locking it all up cleaning everything putting it all away and it sounds simple but the reality is I think a lot of people who are fortunate and who have money they hire people to do that Mm -hmm. so I think what my father was really good at was saying like these are our things. You need to look after them. And you've got to learn and, and learn to value and appreciate these sorts of things. Like I said, we'll pull the boat out and we'll get a thorough cleaning rather than sending it into some shop and getting them to do half a job. So it's, and it, that wasn't the only thing. It was many things around the house. We washed our own cars. In, in South Africa, you, you grew up with a lot of help, but he still insisted, wash your cars. He said to my brother, you're going to get a car. And, but I understand if you do that, then you need to ferry your brother around. I'm the youngest. And so there were rules in, in place. So you had to value those sorts of things. So yeah. I think he was lucky to have us because we respected that. Yeah. But at the same time, we were very lucky to have those situations created and those opportunities created and those experiences. So I think trying to transfer that onto our kids is important. It's not easy yeah. because, yeah, it's teaching them to value everything that you have. It's easy to buy it off Amazon if something gets broken. That's right. But how do you create those lessons and saying, listen, man, you've got to appreciate these things. You've got to look after it. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. They won't have the perspective if they don't go through the experience. And so for us creating those or recreating those opportunities to, to have them value the things, even though they don't know what it's like to have without it, like we do, yes. or that I do and your dad do, but recreating those moments so that you can at least understand the value. I, I just so appreciate that. Craig, how can the listener find you? Maybe they're in South Florida and they need to hire you as a post-construction cleanup, or maybe they just want to find you, get to know you better. How can they find you? Sure. So our two companies, our bathroom, Hilliard Towerx, bathroom butler, our construction cleaning is customtouchcleaning.com. My personal Instagram, and I don't laugh at this. My personal Instagram is MacChunky, M-A-C-H, 
UNKY. That's because I've been, since I was 13, I've been this, 12, I've been the same size. <laughs> I had a relatively early growth. So yeah, so you can find me on those platforms and feel free to reach out, ask any questions. I enjoy helping. I think it's, I enjoy the principle of pay it forward and yeah. I believe in karma. Good energy you put out there, it comes back to you. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, you've done that here today. You've been extremely valuable. Thank you for your time. The stories of uh, second generation wealth being perpetrated. We Thank appreciate you. those and uh, just your opportunity. So blessings on you, your businesses, your family. Thanks for Thank being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.